the VO meter, measuring your voiceover progress. The VO meter is brought to you by voiceactorwebsites.com, vocal booth to go, podcastdemos.com, Global Voice Acting Academy, JMC Demos, and IPDTL. And now, your hosts, Paul Stefano and Sean Daly. Hi, everybody. We have a very special episode of the VO Meter. Sean and I were lucky enough to be guests on Rich Miller's audiobook speakeasy podcast a few weeks ago. We sat down, had a few drinks, a few laughs, talked about audiobooks, and actually came up with some nuggets about the business. So have a listen and let us know what you think. And thanks so much to Rich for having us on the show. We really enjoyed it. My guests tonight are fellow podcasters. Two and a half years ago, they started the VO Meter, Measuring Your Voiceover Progress podcast. Paul Stefano and Sean Daly, thanks for joining me in the speakeasy tonight. Hey, thanks for having us. Happy to be here. Happy to be able to drink and have an excuse to do so. <laughs> <laughs> it's always five o'clock somewhere, Paul. <laughs> exactly. That's why you asked us to meet now. <laughs> it all makes sense. Speaking of which, Paul, what are you drinking tonight? Well, I have quite the concoction. I, I've taken some local whiskey, a whiskey called uh, a rye called the uh, Sagamore Spirit. Oh, I it's know Sagamore owned... Spirit. I don't believe oh, I've ever okay. had that, but I have seen it. Yeah. Yeah, it's very colloquial. It might it might not be out your way yet, but um, it's very popular here. It's, it was founded by the owner of Under Armour, Kevin Plank, and he bought the horse farm that's based just outside of Baltimore. That's pretty famous for raising thoroughbreds all the way back to the horse war admiral that some of your fans may know from oh, wow. the movie Seabiscuit. Yeah. So that, that match race that they had at the end was Seabiscuit versus war admiral. And war admiral was, was bred at this farm that Kevin Plank bought and then started making whiskey with the water that flows to the spring there. So the nice. rye is done from, from the spring at the Sagamore farm. Nice. And what I'm having now is a black eyed rye. And that's named after the, the Maryland state flower, which is the black eyed Susan. Yeah. And it has, Let's see, some simple syrup. In this case, I used blueberry, uh, fresh mint, and um, ginger beer on top of the, the Sagamore Spirit. So, Wow, cheers. so it's kind of a Kentucky mule with yeah. uh, rye <laughs> instead of bourbon and blueberry simple syrup. Yep. Nice concoction. So I have never heard of that before. So is that from a recipe or did you just make it up? It's a recipe on their website, but oh, it's okay. the first time I've All made right. it. And uh it's quite good, actually, I have to say. Well, what do they call it? It's called a black-eyed rye. Oh, I see, I see. Oh, so gotcha. that's the, I, I thought that that was the name of the rye whiskey, but that, so that's the name of their drink. Yeah, and the whiskey itself is just called Sagamore Spirit. That's all it is. Got it. Okay. Um, yeah, I know that I've heard of that, that whiskey. I just don't remember where, and so I don't know if, if they distribute out this, this way or not. But uh, I'll definitely take a look for it. I'm, I'm a big fan of rye. Well, actually, uh, I should say that the CEO, and I'm in no way being compensated for this, but the CEO of the company, the, still, the actual distillery, um, is a graduate of Northern Arizona University and has uh, actually lived out there for quite a while. So maybe he's working on bringing it out there. We'll see. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I'll definitely take a look for it. Sean, what about you? What are you drinking tonight? Well, I admit, I don't usually drink in the booth, so I tried to keep it within a closed container, but we're just having uh, Vidmer Brothers Hefeweizen, the original American Hefeweizen, so maybe I shouldn't use a uh, German accent for it. <laughs> <laughs> but Vidmer is totally a German name, yeah? Nice, <laughs> nice. I, um, I'm not much of a beer drinker anymore. In fact, I'm not a beer drinker anymore, but... <laughs> Back in my college days, I learned how to pack a little mini dorm fridge with five, six packs of, uh, of Heineken. And back then, when I did do a little experimenting with beers, I actually really liked a Hefeweizen. Um, that, was, mm -hmm. that was one of my favorites. Yeah, I like, because I don't, like, I drink the occasional stout, but usually it's light or wheat beers kind mm -hmm. of thing. And um, I actually got to go to Germany when I was younger as part of an exchange trip. I got to go to Munich in uh, the big Hofbrau house there. And I think since then, I just had this romantic idea of these golden wheat beers and mm -hmm. um, just mead halls. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, that's great. All right. Well, I am joining you guys in a, uh, a variation on a theme. It's a uh, rum Manhattan. I decided to, uh, I, I heard this at one point, I think it was on the Whiskey Topic podcast, they were talking about 
just changing things up and taking somebody taking something that you know and making it differently and uh, mm-hmm. I think that that was where I heard the first idea of a rum Manhattan so I combined that with uh, PJ Oakland's triple bitters Manhattan and mm. instead of just using Angostura bitters uh, for this rum Manhattan I'm using Angostura plus orange bitters plus because I thought this would go well with the rum since one of my favorite rums is a cacao infused rum uh, really? Aztec chocolate bitters. And uh, and so I am having a rum, a triple bitters rum Manhattan. Very cool. Yeah. I'm it's, feeling it's... very out of my element here. I didn't even know they had <laughs> flavored bitters. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. The the Fee brothers make a whole ton. And there there are a bunch of different bitters companies now. It's And Jenny actually bought me, my wife Jenny actually bought me a do-it-yourself bitters book for Christmas a couple years ago. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> I have not yet made any of my own, but I, I have big plans. So um, so anyway, this, this is great. It's with uh, Dictador 12-year-old Colombian rum. And, uh, and I got to say, it's pretty Pretty damn good. Fantastic. So thanks for joining me, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Clank. <laughs> <laughs> the right. nearest thing was an iPad. I didn't want to click that. Oh, no. Not a, not a good idea. No, no reason to, to clink with an iPad. So, uh, so, Paul, where are you from? I'm originally from Philadelphia. I came here to go to a local university called Towson State University. Where is here? And I'm in Baltimore, Maryland, or just outside. Ah, got it. Okay. And met my wife here, and I've been here ever since. So it's been, let's say, 20, 26 years, 25 years. Oh, wow. So you uh, you grew up in um, Philly, but then as soon as you left for school, that's what that was pretty much it. Right. And it's not that far away. It's only about a 90-mile drive. So I do get back quite often. Most of my family is still there. But, ah, I didn't realize um, I it have was that close. Full- yeah, it, I mean, pretty much the whole eastern she- seaboard is really accessible by car. I drive to New York quite frequently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've even driven to Boston from here. But, yeah, I came here after college and just sort of stayed. Cool. I, uh, I'm i just not that familiar with the uh, geography. I was talking to Tanya Eby recently, and she was talking about Chicago. And it's like, you know, Chicago is one of the big four cities in the country, and I just uh, I just don't know anything around that area. Um, <laughs> I didn't – I grew up in California, and I just – didn't get out very much when I was uh, a lot younger. So, uh, so that's cool. You sounds like you're close to home. You still have family back in the Philly area. Yeah, exactly. In fact, I was just there last weekend. So, it's just a hop, skip, and a jump, as they say, back, yeah, back to yeah. the home area. Ninety minutes, not hard. Sean, what about you? Uh, well, I spent most of my life in Washington State. There was a brief stint in California when I was very young, like maybe a few months to six years old, and then. Um, Let's see. Then spent kind of a couple years back and forth between Washington State and Japan, of all places. So um, when I was younger, my family moved over to Okinawa when when I was like 10 to 15 and then moved back to Washington and then finished high school and college there. And then um, over the summers, while I was getting my grad degree, I started going back to Japan, working at these like English summer camps. And then when I finally finished school, God, I was there, like I could practically have a doctorate with how many years I was there. (laughs) But um, anyways, uh, when I finished that, I decided to um, pursue teaching there professionally over there for about four years in Nagasaki in the in the southern part and place the southern island of Kyushu. So for people who don't know, Japan's kind of divided into like four island areas. Mm -hmm. So Kyushu is the southernmost one. Yes. So Okinawa from from the U.S. That sounds that just makes me think military. Are you an army brat by any chance? Navy brat. Actually. Navy brat. So, All right. uh, so dad was Navy, mom was Air Force, but both of them actually had medical jobs. So uh, dad was a developmental pediatrician. So he worked with a lot of families who had. I mean, who had. Uh, he was a children's doctor, and he mm-hmm. specialized in kids with special needs. And then mom was a nurse, but since the Air Force didn't really have any hospitals, she went into family counseling, so or what was called family advocacy. So she would kind of talk to parents and, like, beginning families about how to adjust to the military life, like when a spouse is gone for so long and how do you raise a family without them, things like that. Mm-hmm. Did you ever think about going into the military? No. <laughs> nice fast answer there. <laughs> I, I'm too free of a spirit. I don't like being told what to do. <laughs> Got it. So, so you did teaching for a while. Mm-hmm. And what were you teaching? Uh, it was English as a second language, and so that was for. Um, it was interesting. It was through this program called JET or Japanese Exchange Teaching. It's one of the largest um, 
English teaching companies that has an agreement with the U.S. and is actually run by the the Japanese consulate. And so not only were we supposed to be like English teachers, but we were also cultural representatives. Ah. So so that kind of thing. So like we are expected to impart all of our Americanness to these kids in like 45 minute intervals over. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I'm Mm. sure that that was a challenge. Totally effective, yeah. Very, like, very well organized. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. So, uh, so Paul, if I'm remembering correctly, you are you are or are not full time voiceover at this point. I am not. I'm. That's what I working thought. Working my that, way there. So I work part time. Sorry, go ahead. No, so I'll, I'll stop I, talking. Well, <laughs> no, I don't want you to stop talking. But um, <laughs> so, what is it that you've been doing for you know work for the past twenty six years since you've been in Baltimore? Well, I've had a, a multitude of jobs in, in various different industries. I, I started out in uh, in television. So I have a, a degree. My undergraduate degree was in broadcast journalism. So oh. I had a had a job doing master control at a, a satellite company. I started a couple of websites. My first voiceover job was while I was working for the EasyPass system. That's the, the toll collection service here on the East Coast. I'm not sure if they've gone out to the West Coast. but doesn't ring a bell. Basically, when you go through a toll on a lot of the highways on the east coast instead of paying money you have this transponder that picks up the oh the sure account. yeah yeah they had those for the bridges in the bay area when we when i lived in the bay area but i did so little commuting that i never looked into it i don't know if it's the same company or, or what but um, they definitely had something like that okay so yeah my first job voiceover related was that they didn't pay me for it i was doing customer service there but they were installing a new phone system they said hey you have a good voice why don't you record this for us so I did that, and I think I'm still the on-hold voice. If you call there to the, the Maryland uh, Payment Center and, oh, wow. and are put on hold, I think it's still me saying, please hold me with you as soon as we possibly can. Yeah. Um, and then so I did... friendly and soothing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not like my normal voice, right? <laughs> <laughs> so then I did a couple of internet websites I started up doing, doing um, quality assurance and, and um, stress testing, beta testing on websites. Then I was a financial advisor. Then I worked for the Baltimore Orioles, the Major League Baseball team. Were you a pitcher? And then I moved. Uh, I was I was not a pitcher, although during those years I probably could have stepped onto the to the mound for the team. <laughs> uh, I just worked in the front office doing ticket sales. Uh, so, and then I moved to my current company, where I still am for a couple hours a week uh, as a, a data entry person in the registrar's office of an online university. So that is quite a few different different jobs. Um, what what was it that convinced you that broadcast journalism was not where you were going to stay? Uh, people telling me I wasn't good at it. <laughs> I tried. I tried uh, like shouldn't heck. let that stop you. <laughs> I, sent out, I sent out back then tapes and CDs to every station in the country. I thought I was going to be on TV. I thought I wanted to be a news anchor. So mm-hmm. I sent out tapes and resumes to everywhere I could think of. And I, the only problem was I didn't really want to move. And living on the East Coast in between two large cities, as we mentioned, I'm from Philadelphia, and I now live in the Baltimore, or they call it the Baltimore-Washington market, I was never going to get a job out of college here. Mm-hmm. So if I wanted to get a job, I had to move. And I decided like it wasn't as important to me as Casper, starting a family and, or something like and that. making some money. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard that about uh, all, all types of media, is that you really have to be prepared to move to wherever you can get the job, whether it's uh, the middle of Montana for a tiny station or, you know, some big market on a small station or whatever it is. But I've, I've heard that for radio, TV, all kinds of media. Yeah, Montana is the one I used to always reference. That was one of the only callbacks I ever got was from a station in Missoula, Montana, ironically. No and I was like, nope, I'm not moving there. <laughs> <laughs> I can't blame you. Nothing against Montana, but I have like an aversion to uh, very cold weather that lasts for a long time. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know what the climate is like in Baltimore. I suspect that it's too cold for me. It's pretty temperate. I mean, we, we probably top out at, well, we, we get to 100 sometimes in the summer, but in the winter, we never really get colder than, well, 10, if it's a really bad winter. But generally around the 30s is where we where we bottom out in the winter. Yeah, here in Tucson, we tend to bottom out right around 30, but winter lasts like three weeks. So that's uh, go. that's good for me. <laughs> so, uh, so then you got into voiceover uh, sort of at one of your employers. And later on down the road, what made you think, you know, I should look into this more and, and do more of it? Well, the same situation played itself out again at my current company. They, a, one of the things they do is online courses for, for college students. 
and they were looking for volunteers, again, not looking to pay anybody, to do voiceovers for their online content, um, some Mm e-learning. So I did and had a lot of fun doing it and said, this is something I'd like to do more of. And I kind of always had that itch that I really wanted to do something media related. And when I started to do research and looked online at some of the places like the VOBB where we first met, you know, virtually. Oh, yeah, and, I remember. And watching some other podcasts and, and um, webcasts, I learned that I could set it up pretty quickly with my past knowledge and get ramped up pretty quickly. So I did. And I've been pursuing it as hard as I can ever since. Yeah, that's great. How long ago was that? It's been uh, three and a half years, coming up on four years. Oh, that's not long at all. No, it's not in the grand scheme of things. And I, I kind of forget how recently I've really been trying. So, yeah, yeah, it's kind of ironic that it, it's only been three and a half years. Long distance race. So, Sean, you were uh, you were doing the teaching thing. What made you think about voiceover? How'd that get into your head? Well, to be honest, I feel like it was always in my head for from a very young age. Like, I really? grew up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think. Because, I mean, I was doing voices with my brother as early as, like, five. I remember doing, like, Donald Duck with my brother Tristan. He was seven. I was five. We were just going back and forth, like, and stuff like that. Uh-huh. And so, like, I I don't know. I, I just, it, back then, as a child, like, most of us didn't understand that those are, like, people who are voicing the characters. I just wanted to live in a cartoon. Yeah. So, <laughs> but, yeah, the, that itch was always there. And as I grew up, I was like a pretty gregarious and rambunctious kid. I did like all sorts of creative stuff. I was in theater. I was in band. I was like, yeah, like I said, I was a band geek and a drama nerd and just penultimate nerd, basically. (laughs) So Um, you were in band. Uh, I'm going to guess brass. Why do you say that? (laughs) You're right, (laughs) but I'm just curious. (laughs) Uh, Because I was in band. And mm-hmm. and I'm just thinking, you know, the the way that you're talking and everything. I'm just thinking of the people that I've known. So I'm I'm guessing brass. I'm guessing trumpet. Absolutely, like two for two. And and you're <laughs> very players right. Were always I mean... trouble. <laughs> I was a band geek too. Oh no, kidding! What'd you play? I'm guessing woodwind for you. Nailed it, clarinet and saxophone. Yep. <laughs> That's exactly what I did. There's there's definitely personality types who who do certain instruments and like you're saying brass tends to be the rambunctious and loud types. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. So you did all kinds of creative stuff uh, through school. Have you kept up with any uh, music or acting uh, like on stage? Um, I did do community theater as I got older. Um, as voiceover started taking off, though, I, I had less time for that. But yeah. um, but I mean that was kind of how I scratched that itch and. Ever since I was about 18, um, my brother and friends were trying to start a band, and then we were like, we need a bassist. So, of course, that fell on me. And like, mm-hmm. basically, I was like, I'm not dexterous enough to learn guitar, but maybe four strings. I can handle that. There you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so I played that for a while. Um, yeah, I, I like I love most creative endeavors. I just um, I like going to the or going to the theater and um like I said, I did. Uh, and when I was in school, I actually like minored in theater just because I didn't want to um, like I, I didn't pursue it much more than that because like everyone's like, there's no money in it. You're never going to be successful. And um, from a, from an early age, I had always wanted to be an English teacher just because I loved lang- or I love the language. Mm. Um, I love the storytelling aspects and even the grammar nerd stuff. And some of my most memorable mentors were English teachers. Cool. So I wanted to kind of share that that love of language and love of communication with the next generation, if you will. So that's cool. So you did get into teaching and now you're more on the creative side. Are you doing voiceover full time at this point or are you still teaching? I'd say like three quarter time, um, just because the majority of what I do is related to VO. And um, like in my free time, I just kind of lifeguard and teach water aerobics and stuff like that. And I get a free gym membership. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good. Free gym membership. Hard to beat that. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's cool. So you're both really pursuing it pretty, uh, pretty aggressively. So, Sean, how long ago was this when you got into voiceover much more aggressively? I'd say about seven years ago. When it was like a little bit longer than Paul. Mm hmm. Um, And. Like I'm, I'm a bit of a slow bird, but anyways, um, yeah. So it was after my first year in, uh, t- 
teaching in Japan because um, that was kind of my first big boy job. So I finally had all this disposable income that I was, of course, just spending completely on VO stuff. Sure. So whether it was uh, Ooh, a microphone. Yeah, exactly. Oh, God, don't even they believe it or not. There was a time when I was actually afraid of those kind of purchases. And I just like nowadays, I mean, I'm like, oh. <laughs> maybe you stop like, on you. We, we won't we won't go into a uh, questionable gear purchase section uh-huh. just now. <laughs> just yet. Just yet. I'm sure, oh. I know that there have been plenty in both of your lives. Yeah, but I'm I'm recovering. But um, <laughs> I like to call that gear pressuring. But um <laughs> But anyways, uh, so yeah, after my first year in Japan, um, I, I basically spent like, once I knew that's what I wanted to do, I spent an entire year just researching. And oh, that's like, fantastic. Yeah. And that's something that I wish I see, saw more of, mm-hmm. uh, frankly, but like, I, like I said, I spent an entire year just reading things. So I would buy books. I would read the articles on voiceover extra or on VOBB, which is probably how I found out about you as well. Could be. Um, yeah. I mean, I've, I've been on VOBB. I, I don't visit it much lately, but, uh, I'm, I was not one of the original members, but I know that mm-hmm. I found VOBB. Geez, I'm thinking it must've been 2000, Four two thousand six something like that. Mm-hmm. I've I've been uh, I've had a an account there for many years. Wow, that was where I met Kafer too. The old guard, yeah, 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 <laughs> definitely. That's too cool. But yeah, so I would just read as much as I could, and at that time I didn't understand all of it. But um, I, I would just try and read as much as I could between like the VOBB and Voiceover Extra. And this was right around the time where you're getting shows like Rob Paulson's Talking Tunes and. Um, VO Buzz Weekly and VOBS, like formerly EWABS. Mm-hmm. And so I just spent that whole year just trying to absorb as much information about it as I could. And like reading blogs from like uh, Dave Travassier or uh, Paul Strickverda and things like that. I love Paul's, and, uh, Paul's Strickverda. very, very... Strickverda. <laughs> you don't have to say it so angrily every time. <laughs> uh, I, I love his recent recent column, uh, sort of um, geared towards new people in the industry. Oh, I it was recommend so, that so to anybody. cathartic. Yeah, yeah, it was great. So, uh, so quite a while, seven years, Paul, three and a half, probably. Um, but one of the main reasons I want to talk to you guys is because you're your focuses are quite different or your foci bringing out the uh, math geek in me, um, quite, quite different. Um, so Paul, you've done a substantial number of audiobooks. Um, what made you decide to pursue audiobooks as part of your voiceover career for the past three and a half or four years or whatever it's been? Well, kind of like Sean, I'm not sure if he even knows this, but I spent probably six months to a year doing the same thing, just reading up on, on, voiceover and ways to get started and researching nice before i before i recorded the darn thing and for for me i thought audiobooks were an easy entry into the business i have to admit <laughs> i i know better now but it seemed to me that was a quick way to start and i jumped in pretty quickly after i did that research into acx and started putting myself out there for jobs and i got some pretty quickly almost mm-hmm. immediately and I, from there, I just kind of never stopped. I always have one or two projects going because I found out I enjoyed it. And aside from my initial misconceptions about it being an easy way to get work, it's where I still get hired the most. So I audition for all kinds of genres, and I do a fair amount of work in all of them. But audiobooks is still by far where I get the most bang for my buck, so to speak, on marketing. So it seems and, to me that I heard you say that recently on uh, the VO meter that you were, because it's been working well for you, you are putting that much more effort into it lately. Is that correct? Absolutely. I didn't really realize it was happening until I went back and one, did my taxes and two, looked at, looked closely or more closely at where my work was coming from. And Sean and I are part of this meetup group that, that meets now biweekly, it used to be weekly. And sort of at the beginning of the year, all of us in this group sat down and did this assessment of where our work was coming from. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was without a doubt for me, audiobooks. So I'm definitely pursuing it more. Uh, I've just, just in the past two months, I've had my first job with, uh, with a publisher and, uh, I'm going to APAC in the next, in the next month. So is, I'm really is putting, this going to be your first APAC? This will be my first APAC. Yes. Nice. Cool. Yeah. I will see you there. Oh, Awesome. So yeah, yeah, definitely focusing more on it now than I ever have, and it just makes sense because 
that's where I was seeing all the results. So it just makes sense to pursue the genres that are working for you. Yeah, that, that's great to take that step of actually kind of analyzing what's been happening instead of just going, doop, 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 oh, voiceover work, um, and actually seeing where everything is coming from. Um, and the meetup group that you mentioned, is that the one that you guys did a, a podcast episode on? Yeah, exactly. That, that, um, that was a great episode. I really appreciated the fact that um, that you actually shared one of the meetups that you did so that it wasn't just about you should be in a VO meetup group. Thanks. That's it for tonight. It, it was really <laughs> it, it was really this is why here's what we do. And mm-hmm. people could get a good sense of, you know, what the benefits of doing that are. And so it sounds like this was one of those benefits. You actually got to analyze what you've been doing and what's been working. Um, and so that's great. So you are focusing more on audiobooks. Yeah, it's funny. Just as I say that, uh, I'm hit with this giant e-learning project that I can't climb out of several several dozen hours a week. <laughs> wow, no <laughs> kidding. That's just wow. how it works sometimes. That's a lot of work. Several dozen hours a week? Yeah. That's and a big project. <laughs> it is, but it's paying well, and as soon as we get off here, I'm going to do some more. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's good. So uh, a lot of your titles are, I mean, I, I looked you up on Audible, and a lot of your titles are really short. Now, uh, it's frequently advised in the online groups that I know you belong to, that I belong to for audiobooks, that people getting into audiobooks don't focus on short titles, but rather on full-length books that are the kind of books that they want to work on for major publishers. Um, what is it that kind of drove you to those short titles originally? I'm an idiot. I would certainly not say that about anybody who, <laughs> who makes that choice, but is it just one of those things where, uh, because I also know at least one person who has said that they did one short title that's done very well for them and that's what they want to focus on. Now, I, from what I know, I don't think that's a good long-term plan, but for this one person, maybe it is. So I certainly wouldn't say you're an idiot. I'm just interested in why it is that that was something that you did, and as a follow-up, whether or not you would recommend that to anybody. It sounds like the answer to that is no. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm being partially facetious, but part of it was just pure uh, gumption. Uh, Sean will tell you that uh, I will try anything and hope that it sticks. Mm-hmm. And my, I had an initial goal of reaching this magic number of 25 titles because somebody told me that you could be an audible approved producer if Uh, you had 25 titles. Yep. So I set that goal early on and I thought the easiest way to get there would be to do shorter titles and it worked. I got there pretty quickly and I am an audible approved producer. And in fact, they reached out to me this, this week about being featured in an upcoming blog about being an audible approved producer. Mm -hmm. So I met that goal and whether that was the right decision remains to be seen. I don't know that it's hurt me yet, but I also haven't talked to anybody who's told me that they think that's a, that's a detriment to me personally. I know from industry standards, it's not the best, it's not the best way to approach the business. Mm-hmm. And I get that now, but just being stubborn more than anything, once I put my, put, once I put that goal in front of me, that carrot, I really wanted to reach it and, mm-hmm. and I did. So I don't regret doing it, but definitely now I'm focusing on, on longer titles that will be a better, a better, um, a better image for my portfolio. And I think that's, that's, that's happening for the last couple of months. I'm not sure if you looked up my pseudonym and if that's another question, I apologize for jumping ahead, but all the titles I've done for my pseudonym have, have been longer titles and they have been pretty successful. So, well, that's a good question. Advice is not wrong. Are, that's a good question. Are you, uh, do you out your pseudonym or is that something that you keep completely separate? Frequently. <laughs> I, don't th- I don't think I've done it by saying the actual name, but I mean, I tell people in person, I'd rather not put it out on the podcast because I haven't done it on ours either. Okay, but that's, that's suffice fine. it to say, it's due to being in the erotica genre, which okay. I have no problem doing, but because I don't want to mix those two portfolios, I do like to keep it separate. Okay, no, that's that's totally fair. I, I always ask people ahead of time because I don't want to actually use the pseudonym name, which I'm aware of in this case, uh, and usually, well, 
half the time I am aware of, you know, that somebody has a pseudonym. Um, but I know that there are there are some people who immediately say, oh, my pseudonym is, and they talk about the books that they do under that name, and they do it right. for a specific reason. And there are other people who say, absolutely, do not do that. If you out me, I will never speak to you again, because I'm doing this for a very specific reason, and I do not want to be associated with that work. Um, it's not that I don't want to do it. It's that whether it's because they have small children or whatever the reason, they want it to be, or just marketing, they want it to be completely separate. And I totally respect that. So if you don't want to mention the name, that's that's absolutely fine. But clearly, you're okay talking Wait, you, about You're aware thing. of the name of mine? Yeah, because you told me. Oh, okay. <laughs> clearly, I'm bad at keeping a secret. <laughs> <laughs> now, in an email, you mentioned it. So, Like I said, I'm not the best at, at, at keeping it a secret in person. <laughs> So uh, so that's fine. Clearly, you're okay talking about the fact that you do work under a pseudonym, and it's because it's in the erotica genre. Um, is there anything that you have, is there any type of audiobook work that you have turned down or that you would turn down because of the type of work that it is? No. No? Nope. One is because um, I'll take the money from anybody. And two, <laughs> because... I, I honestly feel that whatever somebody is into, for whatever reason, it's their business and I don't need to be judgmental about it. Right. I'm not I'm not just talking about erotica, though. I mean, there's no, uh, no, po same political thing. things. I recently did a book things. on a... Sorry, go ahead. Uh, just, you know, there are people who have political boundaries and religious boundaries and, you know, very, and, and erotica boundaries, various different things like that. And um, so I'm just wondering if there's anything, not just erotica, that you would take a look at and go, you know what, I'm not even going to audition for that because I wouldn't want to put my name on that. No, same thing. I, just, I recently did a book um, about uh, right-wing uh, um, conspiracy theories. Mm. No problem with that whatsoever, even though I'm a registered Democrat. No, nope, fair enough. Um, and how's the pseudonym work going? Well, he, I'll mention it's a he, and his. <laughs> That's he not a big surprise, far, Paul. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, he is by far much more popular than I am. All, <laughs> all of my highest paying titles and most reviewed are by the pseudonym. Yeah. I have some, some of them that have over 50 reviews and are really well received, whereas some of the, some, most of the ones I've done in my own name do not get that kind of traction. Cool. So, um, so it sounds like you have good reason to continue to put a lot of effort into the audiobook world as part of the VO career. Yeah, and my only question now is whether I need to uh, uh, put full-time work into marketing the pseudonym. Um, I've worked with Sean Pratt, who I know Sean has worked with as well, and I think you have too, Rich? Is oh, that yeah. correct? Yeah. And he definitely encouraged me to do that, to just go full bore marketing the pseudonym website, business cards, the whole nine yards. Mm -hmm. I haven't got to that point yet, mostly because it's like Seinfeld. You ever, you ever watch that episode where he was he accidentally got into a threesome and he said, I don't want to be an orgy guy. I'm not an orgy guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good Jerry. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want to go down that road entirely. Right. Right. Well, that, that makes sense. Um, so, Sean, let's move over to you. So I also checked your name oh, on God. Audible and um, <laughs> didn't find anything. And so that's that's the reason that because you guys started your podcast when you were both fairly new into voiceover um, and you have clearly gone in somewhat different directions, depending on how much more Paul goes into audiobooks, maybe, uh, you know, quite quite different directions, but you have not focused on audiobooks. And so I'm really interested for you as a voice actor, why it is that that was not something that as you were looking at the various different parts of, of the voiceover world that you could get into, you chose not to. Well, there's a lot of different reasons. Um, and it's funny that like, like Paul, I actually viewed it early back in the day as a easy way to break into the VO industry and oh how wrong i was yeah i don't think um, that you two are alone in that <laughs> <laughs> and so the, uh, to answer your question there was a lot of reasons especially because when i was researching this i was living in japan and it wasn't i did not have a practical place to record i was recording out of a small apartment but i happened to be on the street with a um let's see with a hospital a Oof. police station, Oof. a fire station, Oof. and a streetcar. Wow. So, <laughs> it was loud, man. I remember that place. <laughs> that's insane. Oh, that's right. During our old VO Vanguard meetings. That's right. Um, it was horrible. Uh, but yeah, so, I mean, and when I was building my voiceover career and was like really pushing hard to kind of get my shingle out there, there was a six-month period where I would, I had my day job 
So I would get up at 6.30. I would be at work from about 8 to um, eight to 4 or 5, and then I'd come home. I'd sleep for five hours, eat something, and then record and edit from 11 to 4, and then do it all over again. Holy <laughs> um, crap. Yeah, so just to, like, just... To, for people to have an example of the lengths you can go to to try and get your foot in the door. I, I've but, definitely heard a few of those examples um, in, in audiobooks as well as uh, other other areas of voiceover and other careers as well. But, um, wow, that's, uh, that's dedication. Thank you. Thank you. But it's funny because, I mean, I do other forms of narration. I mean, the bulk of what I do is like e-learning or corporate narration. It's just a slightly different beast. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, there... And and I will say I love audiobooks. I love listening to them. Uh, I love researching authors and uh, narrators and stuff like that. But I feel like just the way that I operate is a little bit like it's <laughs> it was difficult because I didn't have I, I've done a couple like m- mainly volunteer stuff for Learning Ally or mm-hmm. LibriVox and oh, yeah, things Learning like Ally that. Is a great organization. Absolutely. And they like my stuff. So I'm like, all right, I do have the capacity for it. But it's like my own frustration with the process or not having a process that made it difficult so like i didn't realize that just the sheer amount of time it can take um to do like i'm not used to working on one project for two weeks to a month you know Mm -hmm. um and and so um and also uh about a year ago when i was like re-examining it i actually had a couple of health issues that i was dealing with some some like a bad back injury and I have tendonitis in both elbows from bass playing, like we talked about before. Wow. So um, long periods of sitting, standing, or editing were not good for me. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so, like, but uh, I'll have you guys, uh, you guys will be happy to know I've been doing, been really good about the PT lately. And, like, energy levels are back up. I can sit and stand and edit comfortably now. And, um, and that's part of why I was kind of re-examining getting back into it. And... So, um, like in other, in other areas too, I, I would see on the, the various audiobook forums, people being frustrated with like with royalty share books. And I decided early on that I was not going to do royalty share unless it was a subject that I was passionate about. And, and I had difficulty kind of branding myself kind of like, I I've got like a young, but articulate sound and I didn't know what would be appropriate for that. Um, and so, but like now it's obvious. I was like, oh, YA lit, children's sure. lit, stuff yeah. like that. Um, but even that was difficult to find on ACX. Um, and so, uh, but here we go. Like about a week or two ago, I found like five different per finished hour books that I would be interested in doing. So I was just like, you know, it, mindset is important. So like sometimes when you have an openness to opportunity, they, they present themselves. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I'm trying to, take another crack at it and i have now i have a much better understanding of what's required both technically and systematically so uh i think it'll be much more positive results this time around well so when you first started you were in japan and you were on a busy street with sirens going off all night and you had to record in the middle of the night and i'm sure that even that was difficult with those things around you you're not still there though so what's your recording environment like now Oh, it's much better. I mean, I'm in, I'm in rural uh, Washington right now in a in a quaint little place called Port Orchard. It's near I actually, Tacoma. I actually know Port Orchard. My uh, my grandfather used to live there. No kidding. That's yep. ridiculous. Yeah. Like I'm, man. Like I'm not as good at six degrees of separation as Paul is. But like recently, <laughs> um, we just talked with Pat Fraley, and he's a fellow Seattle guy. He actually lived about 20 minutes from where I am now. In Bremerton. Uh, yeah, in Bremerton, exactly. Yeah, I, I I heard that on the uh, the little short clip that you that you posted for the podcast, and I thought, yep, my grandfather lived there too. So uh, I'm I'm actually you know vaguely familiar with that area. We went up there a couple of times back then, and I had an uncle who lived uh, out on one of the you know bazillion islands out in that way, but I can't remember the name of it right now. So uh, anyway, uh, so so now you don't have a police station, a fire station, and a hospital right <laughs> right downstairs, right? Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> now, now we only have to worry about uh, the neighbor's dogs or our donkey every now and then. That's pretty funny. Yikes. Like straight up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that I even want to ask about that. Uh, so the recording situation is better. What about the hours? Are you still recording at like the middle of the night? 
only when I want to. Like okay. I'm, I'm, right, I'm naturally a night owl, so like if I'm up and I'm feeling productive, like I'll work during those times, either mm-hmm. editing or uh, occasionally voicing stuff. But um, overall, it's a much more conducive environment to that. So it, it wasn't so much a survival situation of like, I got to do it now when it's quiet versus um, I have much larger blocks of time when it's I'm capable of recording. That's good. So it looks like right now you are going to be doing more in the audiobook world. Yes, I, I definitely uh, plan on it. And I'm trying to, like we said, focus on like uh, like young adult lit. I'm a huge fan of sci-fi and fantasy, so I would love to do more books like that. Um, and But as I'm listening to you and Paul, I, I do realize it's important to branch out into areas of things that you're not interested in so much. But I mean, as actors, it's our job to make it sound like we are. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I hear from, I have heard from several people is they have turned work down, um, not specifically because they didn't agree with the content, but because they knew that because of the content, they weren't going to be able to do the kind of job that the work needed to Mm -hmm. be, to be a, a professional, you know, this sounds great kind of thing. And, and I really respect that um, for somebody who is willing to do it, but then looks at it and says, I can't do this to the, to the level of um, perfection that, that you're going to need for this or that you will want for this. It's definitely a perfectionist mindset, I find, because it's just like, I mean, well, I, it's a I, professional I, mindset, right? Well, that so, too. Yeah. If you're being professional about it, you're going to respect the craft and, and the writing. I just did this with a book with somebody from our meetup group, not because I didn't agree with the content, but because the story took place in northern Wisconsin, and every town was was uh, a colloquial pronunciation that I could not do, being mm-hmm. from the East Coast. So I, I backed out of it. I actually had the, the, the contract, and I backed out and said, I'm not right for this. And I sent it to our friend from our meetup group, John Rhoda, who's from Chicago and already has that Midwestern accent. He completed it. He nailed it. There's already one review out there that's a five-star review. So it's just, sometimes it's just the right thing to do. It is. I, I had one of those as well where somebody who I'd worked with several times before that, and it was a really important project for him, um, but he said, there's a lot of French in it. Do you speak French? And I said, no. And I'm thinking to myself, no, but, you know, I'm pretty good with accents. Um, it's just something that hasn't been super difficult except for Scottish. Um, and so uh, so I thought, yeah, I'll take a look at it. And so I looked at it, and as soon – I was only like five or ten pages in, and there were already like five or ten cities plus a paragraph plus something else. And I thought, you know, my wife speaks French, and she can help me with this, but for this, there's no way. I, I cannot do this justice. It would, it would take me forever to get this right, and he doesn't deserve to wait that long for this product, and it's mm-hmm. probably still not going to be quite right. And so I had to back out of it as well. And, and I think that in those situations, like you were just describing, Paul, uh, that's the right thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. It's just called being a pro. There you go. Yeah, sometimes you have to accept that you're not the best person for the job. Yep. Yeah, that's great. Well, well, that's good, Sean. I'm glad to hear that it sounds like uh, you are going to be you know, pursuing audiobooks. Uh, of course, it remains to be seen how much you like it, whether you want to continue with that. I mean, I, I think that is true for all of us in all genres, in all careers. You know, it's like, well, this seems like this might work out. This might be good, but you're not going to know until you do it mm-hmm. or do more of it in your case. <laughs> no, absolutely. And and like I said, I think for people who are interested in getting involved with this, like try it out. Like it can be intimidating. And I know we just sort of talked about like, oh, stay away from shorter projects. But honestly, I wish I had started with shorter projects. So I did not intimidate myself out of it before uh, while I was still interested, you know? No, so, I, I do. And, and I would say to follow up on that previous conversation we had about the short projects is it is important to realize, I think, that there is a difference between high quality short books and crap. And Absolutely. unfortunately, the, re- the reason that I think that this advice is out there is because the vast majority of the really short things that are like under an hour are not quality material. But it is possible to get a short book that is only two hours that is just sort of an informational type of thing that has valuable information. So I, I, I just think that you can be discerning and find shorter projects. Mm-hmm. And I love yeah, that I you said it. be be discerning. Do your research. Like don't don't 
like I'm not a fan of blanket absolutes. Yep. Uh, so yeah, use your judgment. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to add this in because you asked and I forgot. But um, <laughs> one of the, one of the short titles I did was on sales techniques and uh, specifically emotional intelligence. And it was about three hours of basically how to read people. And that was worthwhile content. And to date, it's my best-selling title of any kind of book. It's got over 1,000 copies sold by itself. Oh, wow. It was a royalty share book that has done quite well for me. So like nice. you said, if you pick the right content and it's a worthwhile, it's a well-written book, then it's mm -hmm. worth doing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and I've got a couple that are, that are that short that I would also say are um, high-quality content um, and one that is not. Uh, you know, it, it happens. You pick something and you go, I think this will be okay. And then you do it and go, oh, God, I wish I hadn't done that. Um, oh, I have quite a few of those. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it happens. <laughs> so, Paul, what about your recording situation? Uh, I assume that you are recording mostly or entirely at home. Yeah, I have uh, I've yet to do anything outside the home. Yeah, so I have a, a studio set up in a spare bedroom in my 1970s colonial house with my wife and three kids, which makes things interesting. That's my biggest challenge, really, is keeping the noise from inside the house from getting in the booth. I use a whisper room, a single walled one that I added some drywall myself to. That's a lie. I hired somebody to put this, the drywall in. <laughs> no shame, no shame. <laughs> and then I've treated it quite a bit on the inside with some uh, some blankets and some bass traps. And then I use now, and as you've talked about in our show, it's a theme that I have a different mic every week. At least I did for the first couple of years. <laughs> but now I use an MKH416, a Sennheiser, for pretty much everything. Although right now I'm talking to you from my Shure SM58, the stage mic that everyone tells you should never use for voiceover. But I have like a dozen books out on this thing, and it sounds good. Well, uh, it's funny because, or sorry to interrupt, but no, it's just fine. like a lot of people say that the 416 is another mic you should never use specifically for audiobooks. And I use it for everything, like long-form narration, like audiobooks when I have when I do them, like it it sounds fine. Not well, for everyone. Like you, Sean, I think that blanket absolutes are generally unhelpful. And I think Unless that... it's the vodka. <laughs> Everyone's... <laughs> oh god. Nice joke in an audiobook speakeasy, Paul. Um... What a bump. <laughs> no, you I gotta I... do at least third shelf here though. Come on. I... Respect Rich. <laughs> I, I really don't think that blanket absolutes are all that helpful. I will say that sometimes, depending on the forum, and I think that Facebook posts and comments where you're really not spending more than a few sentences, sometimes a blanket statement is understandable. But uh, when it comes to microphones, I think that, you know, saying that a 416 is a terrible mic for audiobooks is probably not really going to be true in 100% of the cases. I think that it's going to depend on room, treatment, and voice, just like it always does for all mics. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't have a 416. I hope to get one at some point. Uh, I also hope to get a U87, and I know that that's complete overkill, but I've used one in studios before, and my voice sounded good on it, and I like the mic. And so I'm going to buy one someday, and I'll buy a 416, and I'll probably buy a few other ones. Some of them may be questionable <laughs> gear purchases, but uh, but I'll buy some other ones. Um, and so if the 416 works, that's great. The SM58, i got to say, I'm surprised that you've used that on audiobooks. It sounds fine now, but we're talking on Skype. so Yeah, I found that in some cases, because in my case particularly, because of the, the sound I mentioned from the outside, because of the way it doesn't pick up every little nuance, sure, yeah. which, I, which I know is, a, is something you shouldn't do for audiobooks, another absolute. Or any nuance. Right. <laughs> but it's been helpful to me. When, yeah. when my kid next door is banging on his, on his bedroom, door, uh, bedroom wall because he lost in Fortnite, this mic won't pick that up. Yeah. 416 will. <laughs> yeah, no, well, I, I know I uh, an, another mic that you've used often, too, is like the, another sure is the SM7B. And that's like it's got its lovers and its haters because it's a broadcast radio mic and stuff like that. But one of my mentors and uh, prolific audiobook narrator, Carol Monda, that's her main mic. Like, mm -hmm. I love the SM7B. It's a it's a great sound. I, I found the one time that I used one, it was a good sound for for my particular voice. I'm sure that's not true for everybody because everybody's different. Yeah, uh, what exactly. are you using now, Rich? Rode NT1A. <laughs> nice. Oh, well, wow. I bought this <laughs> really? mic. Really? Yeah, oh yeah, I bought this mic, I think, uh, in 2002, 2003, something like that. Used it ever since. 
because that's when you'll hear again blanket statements on from the peanut gallery on Facebook that it's not good on deep male voices. Absolutely. And and I would um, again, I would disagree as a blanket statement might be true sort of in general. I don't know, but it has worked fine for me. I know that the the one uh, comment that I've heard most frequently about the NT1A is that it's brittle. I think that George Whittem was one of the first people I heard say that. And Mm -hmm. I don't disagree. There have been times when I've used it. You know that your own voice changes from different times of the day and different times of the week Mm -hmm. and depending on whether you're sick or how hydrated you are or whatever it is. There have been times when I have thought that there was a problem with the high end. I've never thought that there was a problem with this mic on my voice for the low end. So, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I just think that every mic is going to be different. And that's why the best advice that I see uh, frequently online is, you know, people can recommend a mic to you all day since you're asking for a recommendation. But until you actually try these mics, you're not going to know until you listen to it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it sounds great on you. I mean, yeah, like you, you've got yeah. such a rich, bassy voice that it's like it kind of balances that out. Yeah, it, it, it has worked for me so far. And so that's what I'm using. And like I said, I, I look forward to upgrading the mic at some point uh, when I can, when it makes sense. But for right now, it's working. And uh, and that's great. So anyway, so uh, so that's me. And, and I think that you guys probably know because I posted about this all over the place online that uh, that I built my own booth a year ago. And cool. uh, it has definitely helped with keeping the sound out. So, so you guys, what do you do when you are not narrating or working in your other jobs? Paul, what, do you, what are you doing when you're not? I know that you, with three kids and a wife and uh, regular jobs and the voiceover thing, which you are clearly putting a lot of time into, I can't imagine that you have a whole ton of free time. But what do you do when you're, uh, when you're not doing this kind of type of stuff? Yeah, I have almost no free time. I spend, it's all <laughs> it's all with the kids. Yeah, um, ah. I do a lot of coaching of youth sports. Oh, um, no kidding! I don't want to get too sentimental, but my dad was a musician, or still is a musician actually, and was really never around to be able to help out by coaching a team when I was a kid. Uh-huh. He was always there to watch, but never was out there, the guy with the bat hitting the ball. So I sort of made it a point to be the opposite and coach everything. So I coached my daughter's soccer team and softball both my son's basketball and soccer and baseball. And so I'm always out doing something. In fact, I'm still wearing the clothes I wore to the baseball field an hour ago. That's great. My (laughs) 11U travel team. Well, I'm glad I'm I'm not in your booth with you then. Yeah, it's not a pretty sight. It's full of baseball (laughs) dirt and the hair is all disheveled because I had a hat on for the last couple of hours. But yeah, I spent almost all my time coaching my kids' sports teams or or helping out with their activities. My my daughter is a musician now too. She plays guitar and, and sings, so I'm schlepping her around to different lessons and, and concerts. So that's basically all my free time. And I'm not complaining. It's just how it goes when you have three kids who are under 15. Sure, yeah. How old are your kids? Uh, 13, 11, and 7. Oh, man, that's a lot of energy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Sean, what and about you? I have you? a birthday party this weekend for for my son, who's going to have nine screaming other 11-year-olds in my house all all weekend. So there won't be any recording done this weekend. So 10 times as much energy then. Exactly. (laughs) Sean, what about you? Do you have like four or five kids yourself? Uh, Luckily, no. (laughs) (laughs) And hopefully none that I'm not aware of. But um, (laughs) let's see, free time, what is that? Um, No, I... uh, Let's see. So I I didn't mention this earlier, but I also do a lot of work for Global Voice Acting Academy. Oh, that's right. uh, Yeah, I forgot about that. mm -hmm. So um, and if you can, like if you're trying to find survival gigs while you do VO, try and do it in the industry. So um, so, yeah, I do. uh, I'm what's called the member liaison for that. I am responsible for the membership program and kind of making sure our uh, our members take full advantage of the benefits that we offer. And um, other than that, I'm just hanging out with friends. I've recently become a uh, bit of a D&D nerd or Dungeons and Dragons. No kidding. And, uh, wow, that's great. Oh, yeah. I, I remember when that was pretty much brand new back when I was in college. My, oh, my gosh. Might have actually been brand new when I was in high school, but I didn't know about it till I was in college. And I know I have friends who uh, have been in the past and continue to be big D&D nerds. Well, what what did it for me is that before I was leaving Japan, um, a friend of mine was letting me stay at his house because I I no longer, or the lease on my apartment was done. And so 
um, he was like, hey, man, you need to watch the show called Critical Role, which is voice actors playing Dungeons and Dragons together. So I had had a I had had a couple of middling experiences growing up that weren't like, I don't know, it was, it was kind of bittersweet. It wasn't really great kind of thing. And then when I saw what it was capable of, I was in, entranced, honestly. And then <laughs> and then um, my or like a, a, about a month after that, I uh, met my current girlfriend and I played with her group. And then my friend got me to be a dungeon master for things. And at first I was resistant, but I'm just like, it's character improv like nothing else. Like, honestly, like I've created characters on the spot and just like and, and it really makes you like and it's not only like theatrical and performative, but there's a whole bunch of logic and math involved. So you're kind of using all of your all gears at once. Um, That's but, fantastic. But other, so, so your girlfriend is involved as well. Yeah, she's um, she's actually a theater teacher. And um, oh. so uh, like we're both kind of performers. And that's actually how we met. We went to college together and then um, we kind of went our separate ways when I moved to Japan. And then um, when I moved back, she was in Hawaii. I was in Washington. And then she was like, you know, if you have never been to Hawaii before, I'll be the hostess with the mostest. And I was like, I bet you will. <laughs> <laughs> and then she came back. That's right. That so we we did long distance for about two years playing D and D on the weekends via Zoom. <laughs> and like, wow. Um, yeah, and honestly, I'd say it helped keep our relationship going. It was nuts because um, it gave us something to look forward to every week, and we got to uh, see each other for a few hours and play with her friends. And it was almost like we weren't five hundred miles apart. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. So, uh, but but that's not all I do. Luckily, I mean, I still. Uh, still play music, love doing karaoke with friends when I can do or have time to go out for that. And we have a lot of animals at our house, though. So we got three horses and a bunch of cats and a chicken. And, and so a donkey, make sure that apparently. That's not our donkey. Okay? Oh. <laughs> no, no, that's our neighbor's. It's our neighbor's one. Oh, no, it, oh okay. All right. Duh. Don't we all have to keep <laughs> out the noise from our neighbor's donkey? <laughs> my neighbor's such an ass. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's, that's too much. I, I mean, I get doves outside and I have to deal with that noise. Fortunately, my booth takes care of that at this point. But uh, donkey, I don't that's, think it would take care of that. No, uh, it's hilarious. Like at 12 <laughs> or 1 in the morning, you can hear. <laughs> and yeah. then like a whole a chorus of owls following afterwards. It's, yeah, it's I, I don't think hilarious freaking... is the word that would come to my mind when I heard that at 1 in the morning. So, uh, <laughs> so Paul, you have any words of wisdom for anybody uh, getting into voiceover now and uh, and looking at audiobooks? Yes. One thing I did take to heart early on was to outsource almost immediately your editing and proofing. Not only because you don't see things that, that you're missing. It, odds are if you make a mistake once, you're going to make it again. But two, it, it frees you up. I, I recently, well, the blog post I was talking about earlier with the Audible approved um, narrators that ACS asked me to do, mm-hmm. I said it was like the heavens opened up when I was able to, to get the editing off oh. my plate. Exactly because I was able to do twice as much work. I'm now almost always narrating two books at a time because I can send off the, the editing to one one person, that or one editor and proofing. Let me pick up on that, please. Sorry. <laughs> pick I up finished my drink. He's making pick mistakes. <laughs> I finished my drink. I got it. I, got, I understand. Okay. And three, two, one. <laughs> so now I can work on two projects at once because I can farm the editing out to one to one person with the one book, and the other book I send out the editing to them and I get done twice as much work, twice as fast, and it's just fabulous. So if you have the ability, and even if you don't, I think everyone should outsource their editing and proofing as early as possible in their career. Great. Good advice. I see that frequently. Um, Sean, what about you? As somebody who has been doing voiceover for several years now and is, and is now exploring it more, do you have any advice for anybody who's looking at getting into audiobooks or who might be in audiobooks and might want to look at other genres? Well, um, like I was saying a bit before, like, don't try to jump in the deep end if you're not quite ready. So, like, find find titles that you're interested in, that you're passionate about, because you're going to give your best work that way, at least when you start. Then you can branch out and be like, all right, I can pretend to like this for 10 hours. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, but, um, but do that and start start small, little things. Like, try try some of the volunteer projects, like the LibriVox or... Um, 
or what was I saying, learning ally, and to familiarize yourself with the process and have a process. Like, devote, I'm going to spend an hour on prepping this chapter. I'm going to spend two hours on recording this chapter. I'm going to spend two hours on editing this chapter. Like, like, take lots of notes, make lots of, like, I hear it again and again. Like, prep is what makes the world go round in audiobooks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's that's good. I uh, I like that. Um, well, this has been great, guys. Where can people find you if they want to look for you online? I assume you have an online presence. Go ahead, Sean. Oh, go ahead. Okay. So, well, you can find me at my website. That's dailyvo.com. It's not spelled like my name. It's spelled like you think. So, D-A-I-L-Y-V-O.com. And uh, you can also find me at the Global Voice Acting Academy website. So, globalvoiceacademy.com. That's great. I, um, I, yeah, we didn't talk too much about GVAA, but I know uh, I used to actually work with David Rosenthal. We worked on uh, a, an ad campaign for a place in San Jose. It was one of those goofy things where it was through an agency that was, that was representing me. And they were in San Francisco, and I lived in San Jose. And they were um, recording in San Francisco for this auto place that was about a mile and a half from my house in San Jose. But every time we had to do a commercial, I had to drive up to San Francisco to do it. It was fine. <laughs> and it, it introduced me to some some great voice actors uh, for some really creative spots. And David Rosenthal was one of them. We did several together. That's so cool. It I was, no yeah. Idea. Yeah, no, so I worked with him. And then I actually coached with him for a short time um, when he was still, I, I think he's in L.A. now. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he was uh, he, Santa Monica, I think. Yeah, he was uh -huh. still in San Francisco at the time and I coached with him briefly um to try to um work out work on the commercial side more and then for a number of reasons I ended up sort of stepping back from the voiceover world, but um but he was great. I loved working with David and I know that he is uh at the helm or was. He's he's still at the helm of GVAA, isn't he? Yeah, he's still our president yeah, and I mean he's, he he's he a great, great coach and a and a good friend, yeah. He he is a great guy. I, I would recommend uh, anything that David offers as something that would be valuable, that they could get something out of. Uh, so I have a lot of respect for the GVAA. So I think it's great that you're working there. Well, thank you. I have a lot of respect for you, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Paul, what about you? Where are you? Do you have an online presence or, or are you um, like your pseudonym just sort of hidden in the shadows? I am everywhere. Everywhere. Um, All right. You can find me at www.paulstefano.com. It's with an F like Fred or at Paul Stefano on Twitter or Paul underscore Stefano on Insta, like the kids like to say. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. I will definitely uh, include all that in the show notes so people can find you when they want to look for you. And of course, you have a podcast, which is called. Oh, crap. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think that was the name of the podcast. What was it again? Yeah, it's the VO meter and measuring your voiceover part. Uh, we're not oh. doing the thing. Sorry, Pick up. <laughs> it's, it's called the VO meter, measuring your voiceover progress, and you can find it at www.vometer.com. All right, uh, and I will say, uh, and you guys aren't paying me to say this, I have, um, I have enjoyed the podcast. Uh, I, I've gotten a lot of interesting tips out of it. I'm clearly not focusing on a lot of the topics that you talk about. So there have been a few few episodes where I thought, yeah, that's not really something that applies to me. But there have been a lot of just little bits of information along the way, when whether it's about gear or whether it's about, you know, dealing with people in this relationship business or whatever. Uh, I've, I've really enjoyed the podcast. I think you've had a lot of really interesting people on and uh, they've shared a lot of good information. So I, I will definitely recommend it, even though you're not paying me to say that. <laughs> Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Yeah, right back yeah, at no you, Rich. I'm a big fan of your show. I listen to almost every episode. Great, great. And I know that, uh, like you said, you mentioned Carol Monda. Um, she was one of my guests and um, one of one of many who I have just a great deal of respect for. Um, so, so many great people in this industry, both in audiobooks and in other genres. And I know that Carol Monda crosses all those lines. Uh, she does commercials and, and all kinds of other stuff. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, no, I'm glad, glad you're enjoying it. And thanks so much for having us. This has been a blast. Sure. Yeah. My pleasure. Thanks for coming in. And I'll pleasure. see you in a few weeks. Yes, absolutely. At, at APAC, I'll be, I will be there. Are you going to uh, Johnny's Splendiferous Workshop? I'm not. I have been to Johnny's Workshop the past couple of years, and this year it just didn't work out for me. Um, and so I highly recommend it. I, are you planning to go? 
Yeah, I'll be there too. I'm doing four days actually, so I'll be everywhere in New York that week. Yeah, um, I highly recommend Johnny's workshop. Uh, the fact that I am not going this year is not in any way representative of of my, you know, saying there's any the quality of going. content. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, it, it it is a great workshop, and he has phenomenal people who participate in the workshop to give great information. So highly recommended. I'm I'm glad to hear that you're going. I'm sorry I won't be there, but I will certainly see you uh, at the boat basin the night before. And there we at, go. And at uh, APAC the next day. Sounds good. And Sean, I assume that you are not going to be at APAC or you would have mentioned it by now. Oh, totally. Yeah. I don't feel like <laughs> I'm. I'm not that constituency yet, but hopefully next year I'll yeah. have a bajillion titles under my belt and I'd be more than willing to go. Oh, now see, I would say you do not need a bazillion titles under your belt to go to APAC. In fact, you want to start... Oh, that's great. I was not aware. No, absolutely. You want to start building the relationships as quickly as possible in this relationship-driven business. So absolutely, I would not say to anyone that because they don't have a lot of titles, they shouldn't go. Just the opposite. Uh, now I realize at this point it's sold out, and so just hearing that from me, you're <laughs> Dude, not going you to you're not going to get a ticket. But <laughs> that's the most expertly said. It would be great for you, but you can't go. Yeah, <laughs> too late at Freaking this point. Freaking elitists. But, <laughs> but no, I, I would absolutely recommend to anybody listening that uh, if they're thinking that they want to get into audiobooks, uh, definitely recommended to go to APAC, even if they don't have a single title. So future reference, and hopefully no, next well, year we'll see great, you there. I mean, we've we've talked about industry conferences in the past, and like I'm a big fan of saying that they're a great way to just expose yourself to as much about the industry in a short amount of time. So I I don't know why I didn't apply that to APAC. Absolutely no, and and yeah, I would absolutely apply that to APAC as well. Um, really a good place to be. Sweet. Someday. So yeah, so maybe next year we'll see you there. Hope so. All right. Well, thanks, guys, for coming in. I, I hope the uh, Hefeweizen was good and the, um, the what was it again? The, the rye. Uh, Black-eyed. Black-eyed rye. rye. Yeah, I hope that was that ended up being a good drink, Paul. Yeah, it was a little much. I drank like 32 ounces, but it was good. Uh, <laughs> a big gulp of rye. Yeah, not a good idea. So uh, Your editor is going to get extra money this paycheck. Uh, <laughs> I will say that the uh, the rum Manhattan, big thumbs up from me, and I think that half of that is the chocolate bitters. Uh, adding chocolate to this, mm, perfect. It's awesome. Take it. Yep. All right, thanks a lot for coming in, guys. Thank Our you, pleasure. Rich. Thanks for listening to this episode of the VO Meter. To follow along, visit us at www.vometer.com. VO Meter is powered by IPDTL.